You are listening to The Breakup Evolution, a collection of real-life vignettes of how people move on from heartbreak because matter-of-factly, breakups suck. They leave us flat on the floor, crying insufferably, and in my case, taking a same-day flight out of Chicago to never return. Each episode is a tale of one stranger sharing their breakup story, but more importantly, how they moved on and evolved from the relationship. This is about the aftermath, how we pick ourselves up after the end of being so close to someone for so long. This episode features Allison Penna, aka Bad Widow. Allison is a resilience consultant. Let me say that again, resilience consultant. Something we've all really needed in 2020. Allison has very much learned how to cultivate resilience for herself after the death of her husband of 25 years, David Penna. I want you to hear her story in her own words because it's powerfully emotional. Through the grief and the breakdowns, Allison is also going to share how she helps clients who also go through some form of loss and how they get through it. I'm talking not just abstract concepts of how to feel better, but the tangible things, actual things we could do to grow after a loss. I also want to make a note, at some point in the story, you're going to hear singing in the background. Listen out for it. It's actually a recording of Allison singing herself as she talks about how she uses her own voice to experience joy. Okay, let's get to it. widow was because, um, well, there were two reasons. It's super easy to remember and people always ask why. So it immediately invites curiosity. The other reason is that there were so many assumptions that people made about how to treat me after I lost my husband that were wrong. And so many people who said, you really should be doing this. You should be dating at five months. You should not be dating after two years. Everyone's got an idea about what to do and how to treat a person who's lost the person they love. And most of them are wrong. They'll ask something like, how are you? For the first year, how are you is an impossible question to answer. Because my my answer would have been something like, well, I'm looking forward to being a cat woman. Well, I'm existing in a wasteland of grief. Well, some days I'm not even sure why I should put my foot on the floor and get out of bed. So the answer to how are you is impossible and is honestly um, in, in digging into the despair in a way that's not very helpful. So bad widow was, okay, I'm blowing up the assumptions. I'm living my own life and I'm going to help people understand how better to support someone like me. So that was bad widow. time where you actually don't know if you're ever going to get yourself back, which is really terrifying, really terrifying, because you go from being resourceful, competent, you know, very effective human being to being this person who needs to ask for support in everything because you've lost the person who had your back. 
it's it's the person who remembers who you are no matter how you're acting so they remember who you are sort of see you truly if you're crying if you're angry if you're getting something done and celebrating and that's the person who sort of holds that space for you so when they're gone who picks up that slack most people don't have a network set up so that they have someone to go exercise with, to go out for a drink with, to, you know, all of those is potentially your significant other. So then what happens when that person is gone? It leaves these enormous holes everywhere that are shocking, absolutely shocking. My first job so I worked as a, a medical editor. I worked as a proofreader. I worked as a consultant before my husband died. After my husband died, I had the attention span of a fruit fly and memory loss. So in terms of the proofreading and the medical editing, I could not remember for a span of pages what had happened. I was not able to do what I was qualified for. I was a consultant who couldn't tolerate people. My first job, when I started pushing out my life and working on making my life a little bit bigger, is I had a fellow widow who was willing for me to work a four-hour day. Oh, my gosh. It was exhausting. I would go and I would work for four hours, and it was more people than I had been around even. My husband died September 2016. I started doing that in September 2017, so a year where I hadn't been around a lot of people. I was happiest just hanging up costumes. My boss would give me directions that I would immediately forget. It was really stressful. I mean, it was such a little job, but it was so stressful. And yet, I could work four hours a day that first week or four hours, three days a week that first week. And then the next week I could do five. So I was sort of satisfied that even though I would collapse on my bed after every day, what I was able to do got bigger. It's really important to celebrate what you can do. To come back from my own loss and my own sort of wasteland of grief, what I did when I was ready to expand out into a bigger life was that I started really looking at my own breakdowns and coming up with solutions for them. So, for example, early on, I couldn't remember to eat. I had about five seconds from thinking I was hungry to get to the kitchen before I forgot again. So I put baskets of food around my house so that I wouldn't just have to rely on my memory. I could also look and see, oh, there's food there. Maybe I should go to the kitchen. I had a day where I um, went a block and a half in slippers and only realized I didn't have shoes on because my, the back of my feet got cold. And so I put up a little sign next to the door, or my best friend did, that said, keys, coat, shoes, glasses. 
all the things I was forgetting. Um, energy, managing energy. I uh, had really variable energy. When I had lots of energy, I did as much as I could because tomorrow might be different. When I had little energy, I did very little. But it's impossible to think of what you are going to do that day when you're tired. So on a day that you have little energy is not a good day to figure out what you're going to do that day. I got a whiteboard and I wrote out every single solitary thing I do in my life, from chores to business to relationships to health to eating, everything. And then I would get up and I would look at that board and I would choose what I could do that day. And then I would celebrate what I got done, big or little. Got up, made a meal, uh, did a podcast, created this, wrote an article. And everything needs to be celebrated equally. Whatever you can do has to be celebrated. Self-care is a way to increase your ability to... Um, to be, to act, to decide. It actually makes your, um, taps into your resourcefulness. So it hits, it expands your ability to be resilient when we're stretched. So, you know, a, a rubber band, you stretch, 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 stretch. At a certain point, there's no more stretch. What self-care does is it gives you more give in the rubber band. Can you describe that turning point of wanting more, wanting to push out and to experience more of life. How, how did you experience that? What I did was I gave myself little gifts. I would think of what I was going to do that day. That was a reason to get up and it could be going outside. It could be calling a friend. So they were very small things. And at a certain point that wasn't enough. I love to travel. I do open mics. I knew that I needed to move my body and sing emotions through my body. So I needed to do something physical. Otherwise it gets stuck. And the songs that I would pick would be um, songs that were relevant to how I was feeling at that time. I use songs a lot to um, remind myself that I wasn't just a widow, that I wasn't just a caregiver when my husband was sick. So the, the week he died, I sang, um, three songs. I sang, I will survive glory gainer. I sang, everybody says don't, which is about how don't expect miracles. Don't. And the other one I sang was, uh, the secret of happiness, which is about the importance of staying present. Now my husband was home on oxygen. And so I was in two shows on four stages before he died. And the last one was the Tuesday before the Saturday he died in my arms. Being able to sing what was my truth and, and share that in a community was really important to my healing. If there were 35 songs, I was probably crying through 30 of them in the back of the room. But I was out with people. 
I wanted to live again. I wanted to feel again. I wanted to be able to access something beyond grief or rage. I wanted to be willing to have joy because joy is one of the harder things to get at. It feels like betrayal. It feels like going on. I began Bad Widow because I couldn't find what I needed. I found a lot of resources for things like, here's how you declutter your home after. But I didn't find anything about, okay, your husband was an artist. You've just brought home 800 paintings. You have a 12-inch space to get around your apartment. How do you deal with how that feels when you walk through the door? How do you develop the fortitude to carve a bigger path, to start putting them away and taking back your life? So there wasn't a lot of resources for this raw spot that I found myself in. And it's my nature to look at my own experience, deconstruct it, and then move it into actionable strategies. So it was pretty natural once I saw that there were people also missing what I was missing to start helping people who were going through the same types of experiences. I had a client who was in his 70s. He had lost his job and wanted to get a new job. And so working with him past that into getting a new job, which he did in the middle of the pandemic. So anyone who's wants a bigger life has experienced some big transformational change. I I serve them. So my my aim is for people to say, oh, I see myself there. And I would be safe with this person going through and coming out the other side. There's kind of a three-tier process that I take my clients through. So the first step is to re-engage. How do you allow yourself to step back out into the world and push your world bigger in whatever area matters most to you first? Is it relationships? Is it work? Is it um, health? Is it, you know, what is it for you that would just make your world a little bit bigger? And so part of pushing out in these times has been go out, get on a bus, see what it really is like. Take a walk, see what it really is like. That's expanding a world, right? So that's re-engage. The second is reinvent. After a loss, you're not the same person. You might want to get back to where you were, but you never will. My definition of loss is loss is the death of a future imagined or co-created that will never come to pass. It applies to everything. We're always going through changes. We're always experiencing losses. Death of a loved one is just one of them. It's really, really, really... <sighs> Dis destroying your life type of one. But if you lose a job you love, if, if you, your health breaks down, even aging is a loss of what you could do earlier. The recognition that that's just true allows you to go forward because you can't go back. The, my husband is not coming back. 
I have a boyfriend I love. It doesn't take away from the love I had for my husband. But if I hang on to needing to be that person I was back then, I wouldn't have a boyfriend. I wouldn't have allowed myself that. So reinvent is sort of the next piece. It's who are you now? What do you like now? What matters now? There's nothing like a person you love dying to sharpen up what matters to you. What happens in the aftermath of that is very often your life will change because I don't suffer fools gladly anymore. I don't spend much time with people I don't really care about. I don't do things I don't like. You know, obviously there are some things we all do that we don't like. You know, nobody does everything they like all the time. But the amount of time that I do obligatory things over things that really give me pleasure and joy is much less than it was before my husband died. And then the last thing is rebuilding. People step up, step back, and step out of your life in the face of a loss. They do not know how to interact with you. They may care about you. They may love you. They may not be able to tolerate supporting you in this space. They might come back or they might not. So rebuild is how do you rebuild your networks for what you need now? Because as you're not the person you were before your loss, you're a different person, you may need different resources, different people in your life. So some will stay, some have gone, and then you need new ones. Because if you think about it, losing a significant other loses you so much backup. Who are the, going to be the people who fill that space? They might or might not already be in your network. If they're not, one of the things that I work on with clients is how do you identify what you need based on what you want your life to look like, what you want your business to look like, what you want your relationships to look like, and then how do you invite those people into your life proactively? Because typically we just wait for people to show up. But when someone dies, it's like a tsunami hit. There's not much there. And so the, the repairing is much bigger than in normal situations. Every widow and widower I've ever met is just so conscious that life is short. And one of the one of the sort of tragic and transformational things of my last few months with my husband before he died was learning to live fearlessly. Because if life is short, if one day is going to be the day that you don't have any more days, how would you live? And in the time when he was dying, we lived that way, recommitted to love, reprioritized everything, did mostly what really mattered to us. So what if life looked like that? And there's much more of a commitment to make it that way. So this is the kind of thing, you know, there's the potential for an entirely reinvented life. talking about the networks and building them and deliberately saying, hey, I I need this out of uh, a community. What's an example of how someone would 
identify those needs and then go deliberately create that? Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of clarity in what you don't want, actually. When I started dating, I wrote an article and I added a poem that I wrote called uh, Desires Clear as Mud, because I knew what I didn't want, but I didn't actually know what I did want. But if you can start figuring out what you don't want, then it starts giving you an outline of what you do want. So the superpower is clarity. What do you want? And sometimes it's carving out the what you don't want just to make it more clear. So when I started dating, I went on Bumble. I had not dated since 1992 (laughs) and it was 2018. So online dating apps, they were not a thing in 1992. My confidence in my capacity in my game was almost non-existent (laughs) at that point. But I decided I was going to go on this online dating app. I was going to describe myself. And what I was going for was I am looking for my second epic love affair. I decided that I got to have that. And so I didn't care about the person's height or their bank account or uh, the color of their hair or the color of their eyes or any of that. I was looking for, is this my next epic love affair or not? And my first hurdle was, do I want to talk to them? Is, is my intuition saying this might be a possibility? Then go out with them once. Do I want to see them a second time? And then it was an adventure because I was a hot mess. And dating after a loss of a significant other feels like the biggest betrayal of all. It's really rough. So I knew that I would not get through and, and brought up these enormous waves of grief, you know, and anger. So grief that this meant that my husband was really gone and was not coming back. Anger, how could I have to go through this again? Back into the dating life when I thought I was set. (laughs) I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that really was one of the thoughts. And so I, I couldn't be touched. Someone kissing me caused a panic attack, full on panic attack. My husband and I were together for almost 25 years. And so my skin only felt right with his skin. So I couldn't trust my chemistry because when anyone else touched me, I felt revolted. And I would literally say, don't touch me. Get away from me. I might burst into tears. I mean, I was really a hot mess. And the only thing I could think of to do was just communicate you know, stay responsible for myself, be really honest with myself and just keep communicating. You know, I said that because it's my husband's anniversary and I'm feeling pretty raw today. Um, And the other thing that I kept doing through that process is if I had this sensation of pushing back, of being a hot mess where I didn't quite know where where I stood and how I felt, I had to ask myself, is it me, is it him, or is it us? So being responsible for myself and him being responsible for himself was really important. So besides the normal hurdles with dating at all, I had all this other stuff. And still, 
I found the man that I love and that I live with now in six months on a dating app. We have to take back a bigger life and push back out. Thank you.